0: Brothers and sisters, are you thankful for the love of God? The love of God that is made available in Christ Jesus for all who will turn from their sin and believe on Him. We can experience a love like no other, a love that is unfailing, that is self giving, and we're learning about the application of that love as we journey through the book of Philippians together. And so if you have your copy of God's word, and I I hope that you do. If you would join me in Philippians chapter 4, uh, we're going to turn the page to verse 1 of chapter 4 this morning. Chapter 4 really signals sort of the, the home stretch of this letter. It's, it's been a powerful letter so far about joyfully living out our common participation in the gospel. The gospel is not something that we live solo, it's something that we live together as a, as a church of course, we live it out in our individual lives as well. But the gospel's a team sport. And we're to stand together in the gospel and for the gospel and be united by the gospel. Those who've been called to Christ in the gospel have one Savior, one Lord. And therefore, we're going to stand firm in the face of opposition and we're going to pursue unity together. That's, that's been the message of Philippians. And in chapter 3, Paul reminds us that those who are saved by the death of Jesus are called to become like Jesus in his death that that we are to take up the pattern that we see in Jesus's life denying ourselves taking up our cross and following him through various trials and temptations and persecutions and challenges along the way and this pattern is what is featured at the end of chapter 3 it's a pattern that we see in not just in Jesus, but then in those who follow Jesus, right? We see it in Paul. We see it in Timothy. We see it in Epaphroditus. We see it in other leaders at Philippi, Paul tells us. And it's the pattern that God wants to see in us. It's, it's the pattern that the Spirit produces in the people of God. It is it's the pattern, I pray, however imperfectly, but we, we want to aim at this pattern, right? It's the pattern that husbands and wives and moms and dads seek to model in their relationships with one another. It's the pattern that we pursue in the parenting of our children. It's the pattern that Ethan is trying to cultivate in our student ministry as our older students mentor and love on our younger students. Did you know there's a big difference between a 12-year-old middle school boy and an 18-year-old senior high student? It's a massive difference. It's a big, tall task, and this pattern is, needs to be cultivated in our church. It's the pattern that we want to see our seniors modeling for the next generation who's coming behind. It's the pattern that we want to see Christian employees, excuse me, employers modeling to their non-Christian colleagues, right? We, we want to see this pattern when Christians work for a not-so-great boss, they're still modeling the pattern of Christ's likeness in the workplace. It's the pattern that we want to see Christian rec league coaches modeling for their parents and players, and yes, for the referees when they make a bad call. I'm still working on that one. That, that, that justice gene flares up in me like, I mean, it was a travel, dude. And I just need to eat it for the glory of God. Sorry, that, that was the application of the sermon to me. Sorry about that. Um, but, but everywhere the professing Christian goes, our aim should be the pursuit of this pattern. Our aim should be running toward Jesus by giving ourselves away for the glory of God and the good of others. So after telling us to pursue Christ according to this self-denying, Jesus-exalting, others-blessing pattern, and then warning us that all the other patterns end in destruction. Paul now, in chapter 4, is going to apply the pattern to the situation in Philippi, by showing us that running toward Jesus means being resilient in the face of worldly opposition and working toward unity in the family of faith. So I've, I've titled this message, Resilient and United. You want to know what God wants for His church? He wants us to be resilient and He wants us to be united. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm, thus In the Lord, my beloved, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we need you. We are so thankful for the gospel. We're so thankful that through faith in Christ our names too are recorded in the book of life and that means life everlasting. God help us to understand in this text how we can better align our lives with the pattern of Jesus the Lamb of God who gave his life to make us his own. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. So in this passage, Paul is providing for the church concrete ways to live out the pattern of pursuing Jesus as our eternal prize. Have you noticed that this is really Paul's method in in virtually all of his letters? He's going to lay a theological foundation, and then he's going to give you the pragmatics, right? This is how it works out. He doesn't just tell us what to do. He first explains the why. And one of the temptations in the Christian life is just run ahead to the do before you understand what Christ has done. But you can't get the doing right until you understand what Christ has done. Now that you understand what Christ has done and the pattern that we see in his life that the Spirit produces in us, therefore do this. All right? And here's what he says. You remember the pattern? I mean, excuse me, you remember how the letter began? Back in chapter 1. Do you remember what he said? Back in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul was just getting warmed up describes his situation, and then he comes out of, hey, I'm, I'm in prison, and then he says, look, I want you to stand firm in the one Holy Spirit and have one mind as you strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. So, resiliency and unity, if you're like, Daniel, you already preached that sermon, it's because I did, back in chapter 1, verse 27. And, and now that Paul has shown them the pattern that produces resiliency and unity. He's going to call them to it all over again. And he shows us in verse 1 that when the world and the flesh or the world or the flesh or the devil, the prince of darkness and the forces of darkness, whatever it is that is trying to interrupt your tenacity, your endurance in the gospel, whatever that is, what does Paul say? Stand firm, persevere, endure. And he shows us first, in applying the pattern, no matter whether it's Philippi in the first century or North Roanoke in 2024, if we're going to apply the pattern, we've got to persevere in the Lord. We persevere in the Lord how? Thus. Do you see the word thus in verse 1? It's not a throwaway word. It refers back to chapter 3. Persevere in the Lord thus, by pursuing the pattern that he just described. So Paul begins, verse 1, with that word, therefore, or in this case, he literally says, so then. All right, so the end of chapter 3, there's a pattern, all other patterns end in destruction. So then, you're you're a citizen of heaven, so then, what do we do? So he builds off his his entire letter, and especially the pattern at the end of chapter 3, and and he's asking with the word, so then, he's asking this question. So do you want to know how the pattern applies? And the answer, I hope, is yes. I do. And then Paul is like, let's apply it. Those who pursue King Jesus do not have a faith of convenience. That's the message. Those who are on mission with Jesus don't have a faith that only operates when it's convenient. Tragically, churches have sometimes failed to make this clear. Just come to Jesus and your life's going to be great. You'll have no adversity. You'll get everything you ever want. That's not what the Bible says. And unfortunately, some people have professed faith in a Jesus, but not the Jesus of the book of Philippians, who is the Jesus who empowers His people to pursue this pattern that He established when He gave Himself on the cross for the glory of God and our salvation So Paul is telling us there's no way to follow and belong to Christ and forsake the pattern. Because the faith that God uses to save is a faith that is refined by trials. Because it is a faith that doesn't quit on gospel conviction or gospel community. Paul says we must keep on standing firm in the face of all kinds of opposition. Pressure at work to conceal your faith. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to let anybody know about it. Pressure in your marriage to quit because life has led you to grow apart. Did you know if you're growing apart, you can grow together? Please don't come to the pastor's office and say, Well, Pastor, we've just grown apart. You know what I'm going to say? Well, it's time to grow together. Because I don't see we just grew apart as a, as a reason for divorce in the Bible. Do y'all, y'all see that in there? That's not in there, right? If you've grown apart, it's time to grow together. And if you're going to grow together, you've got to be selfless towards one another. Man, so y'all are quiet this morning. I didn't mean to meddle. I'm just telling you the truth. Don't, don't bring that up in the pastor's office. It's going to get swatted down. Like a DB tonight in the Super Bowl. Work it out. Work together. There's pressure to just throw in the towel. Pressure in your parenting to let your kids do what everyone else is doing when you know it's going to rob them of joy. It's going to rob them of their childhood. It's going to put them on a path that ends in destruction. And you got to say no. Well, mom, you're mean. No, I'm not mean. I love you with all my heart. And one day you're going to understand that. It's a pressure-packed world. And the appeal of compromise is great, is it not? Well, I'll just have Jesus and the world. I'll strike a deal with my flesh. I'll strike a deal with the world system. I'll strike a deal with my desires, and it'll be okay. No, it's not okay. You can't live the pattern that way. Satan has no issue with Christians who compromise with their flesh or with the world or with the enemy. Satan is perfectly fine with us making mental deals to excuse ourselves from the call to joyfully endure hardship as we stand firm in the Lord, sharing the gospel and living it out in the world and in our relationships. Satan loves compromised Christians. He doesn't have to worry about them. You know, compromise in America, is, is a, it's almost like a core value, is it not? Man, we're just going to compromise. Some Americans love bipartisanship. Woo, we had a bipartisan deal. Has anybody noticed yet that bipartisanship isn't working too well? Has anybody noticed that we keep compromising our way to $33 trillion in debt and fiscal insanity? Has anybody noticed that we're bipartisan our way from moral clarity and moral sanity? That every bipartisan step is just a little bit shorter from the ridiculousness that our country wants to pursue? What on the earth? Bipartisanship and compromise isn't working one whit. It's deluding us from the damage that is happening. In our society. I got to tell you. When it comes to King Jesus. The stakes are eternally and infinitely greater. When we are tempted to compromise. We must not compromise faithfulness to Jesus. For smooth sailing in this life. Paul knows when, when gospel conviction. Or our comforts conflict. Our flesh seeks compromise. So what does Paul say? To them and to us, stand firm, endure, persevere, don't neglect the narrow road, the road to the cross, the road that ends at the feet and the face of Jesus. Stand firm, plant your feet, and keep walking toward Christ like Christ. This is a call to endure through pain. It is a call to have joy in the face of injustice. It is a call to stay pure in a perverse world. It is a call to live for Jesus, the true Savior and Lord, and not Caesar or any other ruler for acceptance in this world system. It's a big ask from Paul, is it not? It's a big ask. Don't compromise, don't quit. Or at least it feels like a big ask, right? I mean, when we stand before Jesus and see his beauty and his glory, you're going to be like, he didn't ask me for nothing. I mean, that was like nothing. But right now, when marriage is hard, when being a believer in your family is hard, when being the weird guy because you're a Christian is hard, it's a big, it's a big ask. Do you agree it's a big ask? Anybody? Okay, all right. Right now, it feels that way. So, so notice what Paul says, before he makes the command. So before he says to stand firm, he calls them not just brothers and sisters, he's been calling them brothers throughout chapter 3. Brothers, brothers, brothers. But now he says, my brothers and sisters. They're not, you're not just brothers, you're my brothers. You're my sisters. And then he goes on to say, they are those, do you see it, whom he loves and longs for. Paul Loves them deeply. He misses them greatly. There's an aching in his soul as he sits in Rome in prison 900 miles from the Philippians. There's an aching over the geographical distance before them. And in case we doubted that everything he's writing is motivated by love, how does he end the sentence? So you're my brothers, you're my love for and longed for. And then at the end, he says, stand firm, my beloved. Do you see the love sandwich in the sentence? So here's, here's what Paul is saying. I am commanding you, I'm urging you to stand firm, to endure and do difficult things for the glory of God and the good of others. Why? Because I love you. Why, why do we have such a hard time recognizing that it's, it's the People who call us to hard things who love us most. Every good parent knows there are times we have to call our kids to do hard things. But we have become such a soft culture that some people now call good parenting abuse. And it's not just, it's not just today's kids that are soft, right? It's, it's churches too. So many professing Christians tragically want the church to be a cruise ship that caters to our every thought and desire, but we're supposed to be a battleship focused on the worship of our holy God and the equipping of the saints and the sharing of the good news of redemption and reconciliation to a holy God that we sinned against all possible through King Jesus. And we share it with anyone who will listen. Tragically, many churches have given up. On displaying the power of the gospel in our lives. And they've adopted a faith of convenience. A faith with no cost and no cross. Indeed, many, many churches are satisfied with just turning it into a, a club. Where Jesus and the gospel are kind of like a, a sideshow that makes us feel good about gathering. But at the end of the day, it's really just about what I like to do. And if you don't think that that can happen here in Roanoke, Virginia, take a mental trip with me to Western Europe. Take a mental trip with me even to our own northeastern states here in the U.S., where so many once beautiful, large buildings that were churches are now apartments and schools and cafes and bars. How does a beautiful work of architecture committed to the glory of God become a bar? Here's how. Long before the building was repurposed, there were pastors who failed to warn the people and urged them to pay the price of pursuing Christ according to this pattern. And there were people who said to their pastors, if you don't do what we want, when we want it, and the way we want it, you're out of here and you don't love us. That's how it happened. But Paul gives the command to stand firm in the face of trials precisely because he loves them. He loves them enough to risk being seen and dismissed as unloving. He truly loves them. And more than that, he's vested in their eternity. Do you see what he says next? You're my joy and crown. Paul is talking about the future glory when Jesus returns. Of course, Paul has joy in the Philippians right now, but in chapter 2, verse 16, he calls the Philippians his grounds for boasting for the day of Christ. He's got the same thing in mind here, the day of Christ. When when Christ returns, there's going to be a crown of boasting in what God did through Paul to rescue them and make them partners in the gospel. He's living for and looking to the day when, as Fee writes, He and others of his converts and friends will stand together in the presence of Christ. Are you looking to that day this morning, church? Are you looking for that day? There's going to be a day when, man, it's hard. There's toil. There's problems in in work and in marriage and in family and even in churches. But, man, there's coming a day when we're going to stand together before Jesus and we are going to be like, look at what God did. You're the crown of what God did through me I'm the crown of what God did through you. We get to lay this at the feet of Jesus forever and see what God did in our lives to make us united and on mission for Him and for the glory of God and the progress of the gospel. And we get to do that forever. That's awesome. And so Paul is saying, I'm living in light of that reality right now. I'm telling you hard things now because, man, can't you see what's on the other side? Live in that way. Paul calls them to stand firm. To give ourselves over for the glory of God like Jesus did in his death. So that the church would prosper and the gospel would advance. And so I want to urge you as Paul does, because I do love you. I don't know that I love you as well as Paul loved the Philippians, but I'm trying. And I want to urge you to to give yourself over to the glory of God in, in your serving in your giving, in your courageous sharing of Christ, in your your parenting, in your marriage, in every facet of life, to do all to the glory of God and to stand firm in the gospel as you do. Stand firm on the doctrine of the gospel. Stand firm on the truth of the gospel. And and also, secondly, as Paul calls us in in verses 2 and 3, I want to urge us to put the power of the gospel on display in our church. To put the power of the gospel on display in our church. And, and Paul shows us in verses 2 and 3 that if we'll live this pattern out, we won't just stand firm out there, we'll stand united in here. To put this, put this pattern on display, we stand firm out there and we stand united in here. So we've got to overcome disunity By having the same mind in the Lord. And I'm encouraged to know that disunity doesn't just happen in in 2024. It happened in the first century Philippi as well. Paul's use of the words, "...in the Lord..." in both verse 1 and verse 2, show us there's a deep connection between standing firm for the gospel and staying together in the gospel. They both happen in the Lord, in the realm of the Lord. We can't do this on our own. It's a supernatural reality produced by the Holy Spirit as we obey God's word. If we're going to be standing firm in the world, we've got to be in the Lord. If we're going to be united, we've got to be in the Lord. In verse 2, we discover there's a disagreement in Philippi that is so well known that Paul identifies the people who are having the disagreement. Does this kind of not like blow you, blow you away? I mean, w- w- when we read that this morning, he, he names names. Yodia and Syntyche. I mean, where else does he do that in the, in the epistles? Like we're reading the letter and then, oh wow, he just said that. Now, I know, I know the Philippians were not in a sanctuary with, with a right and left section of pews when Paul's letter was read. But whenever I read these verses, I get a mental image of Yodia. Of She's in the back right, and Syntyche's like the front left. They are as far apart as they can get, and, and Paul's letter is being read most likely by Epaphroditus because he's delivering it. And, and, and then he says, I urge Yodi and Synthecid to agree in the Lord. Can you see it? And I see everyone else with their mouths just hanging open in disbelief. Did did Paul go there? Did he really just say that? He sure did. And he did it because loving Jesus and living the gospel isn't just theory and theology. It's also the application of the theory to the practice of our relationships with people. So Paul entreats these women to agree or literally to have the same mind in the Lord. The word entreat is the same verb same word It's the verbal form of the word parakletos, right, which is the word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. It's it's to comfort, it's to encourage, it's to, to spur on to right action. So it is the same Holy Spirit who empowers our bold stance for Christ in the world, who also comforts and encourages us toward unity, even when it costs our pride the Spirit here, make no mistake, is not asking us to agree to disagree. Now, that can certainly be an, appro- be an appropriate response in matters left to individual Christian conscience, right? But he's, he's here saying, we need a one-mindedness, the same frame of mind in the Lord. The disagreement is clearly impacting the church, and agreement in the Lord is the remedy. The, the Spirit has come to glorify Jesus. And Jesus is glorified when we work through or set aside and clarify and eliminate our differences or when we repent and forgive our way through our differences. Running the race toward Jesus means not running away from one another, but running to one another so that we might have the same mind in the Lord. The phrase, in the Lord, is critical. Please don't misunderstand. We know the Lord Jesus does not have a divided mind. He's got one opinion, he's got one truth. So where there is disagreement between two Christians, the mind of the Lord may be with the one or the other or neither of them. But it is the Lord's mind and not our minds that we seek. We do this by striving to bring everything under His Word and by seeing everything through His Word. It is His Word and it's clear implications for our lives that we pursue because that's where we find and know the mind of the Lord. Notice that Paul doesn't give any indication that he's on Yodia's side or Syntyche's side. Whose side is Paul on? He's on Jesus' side. He wants them to side with Christ and the gospel. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and His truth and His glory and His desires and His design for His church which should be at the heart of resolving Christian conflict. And to help us facilitate unity, Baptists from our very beginning have been a confessional people. To preserve and define how we pursue unity in our church... We have a summary confession of what we believe. It's on our website. It's in our constitutions, both new and old. It's, it's a statement of faith. So while we love Presbyterians and Methodists and Pentecostals and Wesleyans who love Jesus and want to obey His Word, we realize that they understand Scripture differently enough from us in some places that are significant enough from us that we have denominations so that both of us can worship God as we see right now with a clear conscience so denominations for now allow us to worship God with a clear conscience as we disciple new believers together in unity the differences are significant enough that they would implement they would they would impact how we make a disciple so that's why we have denominations. Somebody be like, ah, you know, that Jesus stuff can't be true because you have denominations. No, denominations are just how we pursue unity for right now. And one day, we're going to get to heaven, and Jesus will confirm that we all should have been Baptists. But until that day, I, I appreciate the laughter. It was, it was a joke. But for now... We have a confession of faith that guides our labor in the gospel. And if you don't agree with our confession of faith, then there's probably a denomination that does. But we have a confession of faith that guides our labor for Christ so that we can work together with the same mind in the Lord, the same mindset. But in the case of Yodia and Syntyche, the issue doesn't seem to be doctrine, does it? The issue doesn't seem to be a disagreement on who Christ is or how the gospel works or or the need to repent and believe in Jesus or that Jesus is fully God and fully man. There's no disagreement on any of these things, I I don't think, because if any of that were at stake, what would Paul Paul have done? He would have said, this is the doctrine. This is what you must believe. But instead, there's no doctrinal disagreement to be found. So what are they what are they arguing it about? We don't know for sure. It's it's most likely a conflict rooted in questions about the, the best way or the best ways to, to do the gospel in their changing context. Philippi, it had once been a safe place to be a Christian, and now it's becoming dangerous to be a Christian. So that impacts not your theology, but your methodology, and there's probably some disagreement going on. I, I kind of wonder if the disagreement is is rooted in the personality traits that might be communicated by their names. The word yodia has a meaning of something roughly equivalent to the word success or successful. You ever been around a successful person? Man, they set goals, they have plans, they hit benchmarks, they got targets, they are going to work the plan and the plan is going to work because that's how you produce success. People like that. I appreciate people like that. That's how things get done. And then you've got Syntyche. Her name means something like lucky. Or happy accident. We got any happy accident people around here? Just I don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. Don't really care. Just take it as it comes. Everything's great. I envy you people. God bless you. God help me. We, we don't know for sure if we can read that much into their names or not. Perhaps Yodia was the planner and Syntyche was the procrastinator. Maybe Yodia was more gifted at teaching other women, but Syntyche was more gifted at meeting needs. Y'all ever felt that tension in ministry? Man, I'm just going to disciple, disciple, disciple. I'm going to get doctrine in the head, doctrine in the head, doctrine in the head. And then you got the other guy like, well, they just need a meal. We just need to give them some food. We just need to take care of their, their, their needs. And you're both right. But one is so driven by like the felt needs, and one is so driven by doctrine, and we really need to be driven by both. Perhaps Syntyche had insisted on a proven door-to-door evangelism program that worked before persecution started. And Syntyche's like, you know... I don't want to get my head chopped off in Philippi, so why don't we try a more relational approach at the office? We we don't know. And we probably are not told why. Because if we knew the situation, what would we do with this text? We'd be like, well, that doesn't apply to me. I mean, that was their problem. That was their squabble, so I don't need to worry about it. But Paul doesn't tell us, the Spirit doesn't tell us, because it does apply to us. The Holy Spirit doesn't give us any wiggle room out of this text. Following the pattern means we must strive for unity by having the same mind in the Lord. And that requires that we set aside self to adopt and embrace and live out the mind of Christ. And and you can only do that to the best of your ability. You can't make someone else forgive you a hurt that you've caused them. You can't make someone else repent of a hurt that they've caused you. But you can certainly pursue them. You can certainly try. And notice what Paul urges in verse 3. He says, I ask you, true companion, to help these women. So apparently these women who are seated here and back there, and everybody's mouths are open, and they're like, oh, Paul called y'all out. And then in verse 3, he's like, hey, everybody else, help them out. Help them out. Stop the he said, she said. We said, they said. Put them together. You. The you here in verse three is singular. Almost everywhere, Paul uses the plural you to address the whole church. But here it's singular. And, and some people are like, well, who's the you? Is it Epaphroditus who brought the letter? Is it some other coworker that that Paul had in Philippi? May, maybe. Is it some close friend of Yodi and Syndiche that they just know they're the person who can put them on the same page? There might be situations in our very church like you're the guy or you're the lady who can put two people together. Nobody else could do it. And God's saying to you, put them together in the Lord. Help them to agree in the Lord. But most likely, what's happening here, a commentator by the name of Silva and many other commentators say, what's happening is, is likely that this is Paul's way of inviting the various members of the church to prove themselves loyal partners in the work of the gospel by helping Yodia and Syndicate to agree in the Lord. This word, help, do you all see the word help in verse 3? That, that's a pretty tame translation of the word. The word actually means to seize or to arrest, or to grab something. Don't don't let them leave today. You grab these two ladies and put them in together and get the mind of Christ. Help them work it out. This is not urging, by the way, church, a meddling or a gossiping. But instead, it's brothers and sisters giving biblical counsel, encouragement to, to brothers and sisters. Did you do something or say something that was intentionally hurtful or perceived as hurtful go ask for forgiveness and if you're the one who's been hurt be ready to forgive you angry at someone that overlooked you in the hallway take them to lunch and get to the bottom of what's going on and be ready to listen you don't know what's going on in their life Man, the the things that people have brought to me, and people don't have a clue what's going on in one another's lives. Take them to lunch and talk to them, and find out what they're facing. And you might leave there going, wow, I had no idea. God forgive me for making an assumption. We'd all do a better job of taking the planks out of our own eyes and receiving loving correction if we would think less like Yodi and Syntyche apparently were and more like Charles Spurgeon did when he said this, Brother, if any man thinks ill of you, don't be angry with him. For you are far worse than he thinks you to be. If you have your moral picture painted and it is ugly, be satisfied. For it only needs a few darker touches more, and it would still be nearer to the truth. Unity comes, church, when we realize just how much we needed saving and just how much we need Jesus to shape us as we stand firm and as we pursue, pursue unity. Paul describes these women, though, though they are not united now, as great gospel women. Do you see that? Man, these women were together. They were with us on the ground floor of the gospel in Philippi. He had a long connection with both women at a time when they had lived out the pattern of pursuing Christ together by laboring or contending for the gospel. This word contend or labor is an athletic term signifying an intense competition Here's what Paul is saying. There was a time when you fought together on the same team for the gospel, but now they're fighting one another, so church of God, come together and help them out. They had been co-workers with Paul and with Clement and other co-laborers in the gospel in Philippi. Who in the world is Clement? We don't know. Silva suspects he's one of the early members of the pastoral team leading the church. Something perhaps like the lead pastor in Philippi. Whoever he is, the Philippians would have known Clement. And they would have recalled when everybody was working together in the gospel. These women were early leaders in the church. They were on the front lines of gospel advance. And now they're having a falling out and they need to be encouraged to live out the pattern. Death to self for the glory of God and the good of His church and the progress of the gospel. And of course, if disagreement is spilling over into the whole church, then the whole church in some measure is going to have to be open to following this same pattern of confessing any attitude or comment they may have made so they might get on the same page in the Lord. We will not settle disputes by picking sides. We will settle disputes by siding with Jesus and the progress of the gospel. And the unity Paul is calling for is in the Lord. One pastor said this, two chickens with their legs tied together and thrown over a clothesline might be united, but they don't have unity. Paul is urging a oneness of mind and heart and purpose in the Lord And the Lord has given us His Word and His Spirit to apply the Word in that process of pursuing unity in Christ. So, Yodi and Syntyche may need to bury, they need to bury whatever perceived or actual slights or misunderstandings that there are. How? By agreeing in the Lord. And to agree in the Lord, both will have to adopt the mindset of the Lord Jesus on the way to the cross for agreement to be found. And the church should take an interest in facilitating their agreement, not only so they would be restored as co-laborers in the gospel, but also, do you see it at the end? Because their names are in the book of life. The book of life is what? It is God's record of those who have received divine life and are destined for glory. So Paul is saying, look, Yodia and Syndicate are going to agree in the Lord one day, so they may as well agree in Him now. Paul urges us to live faithfully now because eternity is real. Set pride and personality aside. Set slights and annoyances aside. Set she said, she said" aside. And agree in the same Lord who was offered up as a lamb and shed his blood to save you both. Agree in the Lord. You say, well, pastor, that's going to be hard. I'm going to have to humble myself. I'm going to have to forgive somebody that hurt me. I'm going to have to bear a hurt and not keep bringing it up as a source of division, as a source of, quite frankly, pride. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, what did Jesus do for you? Has Jesus not borne your iniquities? Has He not borne your sufferings? Has He not borne your hurts? Infinitely greater hurt than anyone has ever hurt you. Do we not have a Savior who went to the cross and bore the suffering and the pain and hurt our sin calls for the glory of the Father and the advance of the gospel church? God is calling us to the same. Look to His Word. Examine ourselves from the planks in our own eyes and agree in the Lord. So let's apply the text and I'm done. If you know you've hurt someone go apologize. If someone hurt you and they don't even realize it, take the first step and reach out to them. If you're wanting a united church, take the guy that annoys you to lunch and leave the table committed to serving the Lord together. If you want a united church, don't talk about people, talk to them. If you have questions about a proposed change, talk to your pastor, not about him. Be regular in worship. Listen intently to the messages. To the best of my ability, I am seeking to lead us according to the word of God and obedience to King Jesus. So if you don't understand something or have a question about something, please ask. Coming together where there is hurt takes humility. It takes recognizing we all have blind spots. We all have pride that remains to be uprooted, and God uses this unity to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. It takes a willingness to release our hurts to the Lord and then run forward together for the glory of God. It takes submission to Christ for the good of his church, and it takes intentionality. This coming Sunday, well not this coming Sunday, but a few Sundays from now, we had staff meeting on Tuesday and uh, for those of you who've been around North Roanoke, you know, we had a, a, a big meeting last Sunday night. It lasted almost three hours. It was fun. Had a lot of fun. But we need to be together in the Lord. And so on Sunday, March 3rd, we're just going to have an indoor picnic here at North Roanoke. We're going to hang out together. Get some bounce houses, have some fun and games, some chicken. Chicken's always good to have. And we'll meet over in the fellowship hall, open up the gym. And I just want to encourage you to be here and hang out. We'll start at 4 o'clock. We'll eat at 4.30. So if you don't mind, just mark your calendars right now, March 3rd. We're going to have a hangout in Jesus' time. If there's anybody you got something stewing with that's hurt you, but between now and March 3rd, go get it resolved, agree in the Lord. It's about Jesus and the gospel. It's for the glory of God and the good of His church and the salvation of sinners yet to be reached. Church, to be effective out there, we've got to put the agenda of obedience to Christ and the progress of the gospel above our hurts and our slights and our preferences. We don't see disunity as a reason to run from one another, but to run toward Christ by running toward one another. So how do we follow this pattern given to us at the end of chapter 3? How do we become like Christ in His death? We stand firm in the face of whatever opposition there is out there. And by God's grace, we seek to agree in the Lord in here. May God help us. Jesus is worthy of nothing less. Would you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, I thank you and praise you for your truth even when it's not easy and I pray in Jesus name that you would help us to be resilient and resolved to endure in the face of whatever adversity we are facing in our lives right now because there's always something and I pray God that you would help us to agree together in the Lord for the glory of Christ the good of your church and the salvation of sinners from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.